each of y'all. I'd like to greet you in Christ's name. It is good to see everybody here. There's a bunch of folk here. So welcome. Um, any of you children, any of y'all like mice? Kind of like mice? You want to hear a story about some mice this morning? It's a, it's a made-up story, but I think it has a good point. So I tell you what, why don't y'all children that want to hear a story about mice come up here and sit on the floor? Oh. 
I titled the message this morning, The Cycle of Discontentment. And y'all are going to get kind of an inside look into some of my life. And I'm just going to, I am who I am. I have my faults. I have my failures. And y'all are going to hear about some of it this morning. So I'm not much of a uh, horse rider. Um, but I have been on a buggy ride already, and I suppose a fair amount of y'all have been on a buggy ride. I remember one time, I was probably about 10, I was, riding, I was in Ohio with my aunt uncle, and my aunt Janie took me on an open buggy ride, me and my sister Jolene. And I remember it was a gray, overcast day, and I thought this was kind of neat. I was probably 10 or 11 years old, riding along in a horse and buggy. And uh, I remember I, I felt uh, spritzes. I thought it was starting to rain. And me and my sister had said something about, well, we better get back. It's starting to rain. We were like, ugh, we don't like buggy rides after all. You know what I mean? Uh, but, and we were riding along, and on the side of the horse's face, on each side of the eyes, it had Jim, asking him what those were for. And he said it's so that the horse, the horse can't see out each, either side. It has to run, it it's, makes the horse focus on what's straight ahead. And sometimes I wonder if Jason Gingrich doesn't need more blinders on the side of his face in this world. What is it about me and us humans that I like to look around at what everybody else has and I like to look at what they've acquired and I like nice things and, and to get sidetracked. It's so easy. 
And y'all are going to maybe think I'm against stuff and having things at the end of this message. I'm not against stuff, and I'm not against things, and I'm not against money, and we need all this stuff to survive in this world we live in. It's the way the good Lord designed it. But I am against having stuff and things that get between us and God and take our focus off of him. And that's where I get, get sidetracked so easily. And it's so easy for me to look at others around me and point out how they're doing it wrong. They shouldn't have whatever. They shouldn't do this whatever. Have this or go there. And really... I have, some, I have the same faults and failures. We love to compare poor little old ourselves to people that have more than us, and we completely forget it to check in with those that have less than us. And I'm a, I'm a red-blooded male that just loves things. Ever since the, the wheel was invented, it seems men have looked longingly at wheels and tried to dreamed of acquiring as many as possible. Do you men find it that way? I have such a long list in my mind of things that I just think I need at times. I need a farm truck, I need a diesel truck, I need a nice runaround truck, I need a Jeep to drive to the creek, I need a four-wheeler, a side-by-side, -side, a tractor, a skid loader, all the attachments, and I'll take an airplane for good measure, and yesterday my five-year-old informed me I need a bulldozer, and I didn't disagree. <laughs> that, that, that's, sometime, that's where I am sometimes. And then you get catalogs of, of all the new Milwaukee tools or whatever brand it is you want. Or you go to a gun show or a pawn shop and you see that and you see the vacations other families take. And then somebody comes by with a newer phone or computer than you have or you see somebody with a better quality clothing or, and all stuff, all this stuff that we sometimes legitimately need but most of the time we don't. And the crazy thing is we live in a world that with a little bit of planning, and we, we live in America, and with a little bit of planning, a little bit of saving, a little bit of hard work, you can get a lot of this stuff. You, you can do it. Somebody's always ready if you don't have the money to loan you the money for it. They're talking to a man Friday, and Kevin was there with me. He said somebody tried to sell him a pontoon or a tritune and put it on a 14-year loan. And... People will, there's always somebody there to make it easy to get what you want. And we can almost always justify in our minds why we need this. You go to a mattress store and the salesman tells you, ah, you spend eight hours a day here, you got to get a good night of sleep. You better buy the good mattress. You go to the truck lot and the salesman says, you drive truck for a living? Well, you better get a good one. Because you spend eight hours a day in there, maybe you, you don't want a backache. You better get, better get the loaded out version and make sure you get the newer one because they're safer. Then you go to the furniture, furniture store and they tell you you worked hard all day. You deserve to sit down after a hard day of work. You de they, like to, they like to make sure you know that you deserve it. You go to buy... You have to upgrade your phone. So you, you go to upgrade your phone. And they tell you you have to buy a 
a uh, case to protect your investment. There's always something that's, that you need. And if, I, if we're like most Americans, we can, we, can, we can just lose our mind if we're not careful. They studied, uh, and here's another thing, manufacturers are so good at promoting their products. And I don't blame the manufacturers. They're, they're in it for, they, they have to compete and all this stuff. I'm, I'm not against, but the, the way they study human natures and the things they know about us that makes us buy the things we do. I was listening to an interview of a, I think it was a razor company, um, and they, they were so much thought in the way they designed the packaging on the razor. They wanted it to be a good experience, like when you open the box, it, it, it has just the right amount of suction, and, and it's like a surprise when you open the box. There, there's so much stuff like that that goes into some of this. The thoughts that these manufacturers put in to get, get you to buy their stuff. And the vicious cycle continues that we all have our needs. Sometimes I need to simply make do with what I had. And it's surprising maybe what it may be possible to live without. Looks like I have a uh, little bit of an issue here. Apparently my uh, parenting talk didn't go so well, or it didn't sink in. All right. I, w I remember looking through a, a photo album my uh, mom had and coming across an old picture of dad. Dad was a construction worker, and there was a picture that she had took of him. He was, and I'm not saying this story to say my dad was perfect. He wasn't perfect. He liked things and whatnot as much as I do. But there was a picture of him putting Phil in a basement of a house he was building, and he was hauling gravel in in a lawnmower and a little dump trailer. And I looked at that picture and I thought, if that would be me today, I don't know if I could, if I would do, I would say I have to go rent a skid loader or buy a skid loader or I have to have some piece of machinery to do this. But here was dad on a tractor with a big smile and a little trailer hauling this gravel in. And I know he had just left the Amish not long before that. He was probably just happy to be on something with motor and a wheel. You know what I mean? But he was, he was making do with what he had. And there's times I need to just realize God gave me the things I have, and a lot of times I can make do with less. I really can. Let's read a story in 1 Kings 4, 16. It may not be the most appropriate story for this message. It's an old story that you all know. Um, but we're going to read it anyway, and I think I can, we can draw some conclusions from here about contentment. Uh, 1 Kings 4, 16 through 28. 
just read that section. Then came there two women that were harlots unto the king and stood before him. This was King Solomon. And the one woman said, O oh my Lord, and I and this woman dwell in one house, and I was delivered of a child with her in the house. And it came to pass the third day that after I was delivered, that this woman was delivered also. And we were together. There was no stranger with us in the house, save we two in the house. And this woman's, and this woman's child died in the night because she overlaid it. And she arose at midnight, took my son from beside me, and while thy handmaid slept, and laid it in her bosom, and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I arose in the morning to give my child suck, behold, it was dead. And when I considered it in the morning, behold, it was not my son which I did bear. And the other woman said, Nay, but the living son is mine, and the dead son is thy son. And this said, No, but the dead is thy son, and the living is my son. Thus they spoke before the king. Then said the king, The one saith, This is my son that liveth, and thy son is dead. And the other saith, Nay, but thy son is dead, and my son is the living. And the king said, Bring me a sword. And they brought a sword before the king. And the king said, Divide the living child in two, and give one and give half to one and half to the other. Then spoke the woman who was, whose the living child was unto the king, for her, her bowels yearned upon her son. And she said, O my Lord, give her the living child, and in no wise slay it. But the other said, Let it be neither mine nor thine, but divide it. And the king answered and said, Give her the living child, and in no wise slay it. She is the mother thereof. And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had judged, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to do judgment. So we have these two women here, these two harlots. They were probably not the most looked up to type of people in the Bible. They were probably, they probably weren't, not, they were probably kind of had the stigma of not being very honest folks. Honesty isn't really what comes to mind when you think of a harlot. They probably weren't thought of as trustworthy. And, but here these two women stood both declaring with absolute certainty that this living child was theirs. And Solomon probably wasn't the first judge that heard their case. I don't know for sure, but probably if it was anything like today, it went up through smaller courts until finally it came to this we would call it the Supreme Court today. I mean, this is as high up as you could go. This is the best judge in the land. Verse 20, we have the one, uh, she's calling herself, uh, she's making a sales pitch. She's appealing to the king as his servant. And obviously, the other lady was still arguing vehemently that no, this was her child too. So you have these two women that lived in the same house with one living child and one dead one, both claiming to be the child of the living one. The poor child, can you imagine? I don't know how long of a process it took to get to this top court like this, but the poor child in the meantime, and horrors, that would have definitely been the, a housetop it would have been better to dwell on top of than be in it, wouldn't it? 
that would have not been a happy home by any stretch of the imagination. And Solomon was far from done, dumb. He, uh, uh, he probably was pretty good at reading body language. He probably had his pretty strong suspicions who was the right mother. He probably had a pretty good idea who was the real mom, but he wanted to confirm his feelings, and that's where his godly wisdom came in. And he knew to appeal to the mother instincts. And we're still talking about this story thousands of years today, thousands of years later. We still talk about this story. He was smart making her, uh, the one that wasn't the real mom, kind of squeal on herself. Because if he would have just said, it's this one, even if he would have been right, for the rest of his life, this other lady would have probably said he was wrong. But she completely tattled on herself by her actions. So what does any of this have to do with contentment? I think more than anything, at least to me, it's a, it's a story that reveals the cycle we humans go through or what I go through. Take out the fact that this was a deeply sensitive issue because it was a baby, it was, the, it was a human life. A lot of times I become discontented over a lot, over material, earthly things. So, but here's the cycle that happens. We look at what others have and we become discontented because we don't have it. This lady looked at this other lady that had this baby. She didn't have hers anymore because it died, she became discontented. So that was the first thing. And then it turns to jealousy, and then it turns to envy. And envy is the bottomless pit that takes you nowhere good ever. Jealousy, you can actually kind of work to your advantage sometimes. It's on the road to nowhere good, but if I see a, another couple that has a good marriage, or a good home, or a good walk with the Lord, I can use that to behoove myself to change. I, I can use that to uh, try to, try to, follow, try to follow and, and you, can, you can swing it a little bit in your favor, but envy is the, is the bottom of it all. Envy is, I'm so jealous of what you have and I know it's out of my reach to obtain it. And so I don't want you to have it either since I can't have it. That's envy, that's envy. And that's where this dear lady was that rolled on her baby. God gave her something and he took it away and she didn't like her lot in life at that point. She didn't want the other lady to have what she had. And truth to be told, she was probably a little bit ashamed of what she'd done by accident. She probably was afraid of what the community would say to her. Here's a bad mother that don't even know how to take care of her, of her baby. But the bottom, and at the end of it all, she let envy grip her to the point that she took this case in front of all of Israel and, and kind of made a, a fool out of herself, showing, showing her heart, showing who she was. Envy is, envy is a cruel place to be. Listen to Galatians 5.21. Envy is murders, drunkenness, revelings, and the such like, of which I tell you as before, I have told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. It puts it there with murders and drunkenness? It does. 
James 3.16 says, For where envy and strife is, there is confusion in every good work. And Proverbs 27.4 says, Wrath is cruel, anger is outrageous, but who is able to stand before envy? I remember as a, as a young boy in school being so jealous and to the point of envy almost of some of one of my uh, classroom mates had a bow and arrow that was so much nicer than mine. I, I don't know if any of the, the school children probably today are much more mature than I was back then. But the, the little things we, we can get discontented over turns to jealousy and then we, wanna, we don't want anybody else to have it because we can't have it. It's a bad place to be. It's a childish place to be. And it seems like the older I get, we, we, we have craftier ways of covering it up. But it, when, we're child, when we're children, it kind of shows because they don't know how to hide it. But the older we get as adults, the, the better ways we have of hiding some of our feelings sometimes. Whatever happened to, to remembering that all this stuff I want, all this stuff I could be jealous or envious over, I'm going to leave it behind someday. I'm going to leave it behind. And none of it's going to matter. Not a one. Not, none of these earthly items are going to matter. I remember begging Dad for toys and things. And, and Dad was pretty... Uh, he, he was... Uh, he liked toys and things too. He did. He and he bought me and Sean and my brothers and he did a lot of. He had he, we had toys. Believe me, we did. And but I remember there were some things that I wanted so badly, and Dad just never quite got around to buying it. He might look at it. He might he might uh, let us talk about it, but he just never got around to buying it. And that was good for me. That was good for me. Dad, he, he uh, but here, here's where I'm going with this. Today, sometimes I hear my boys coming up to me with some of these same wants and needs and desires now. And so, as a dad, it's hard to say no. As a, as a, we, I don't know what it is about us dads. It seems like moms have a, a, a free pass to, the children just love them all the time. You know what I mean? But as dads almost have this feeling that we have to buy our, our child's friendship. Or we have, to, we have to have this stuff to impress them so that they like me. That's not true, man. That's not true. I'll tell you what my, what us, what the, my boys want, whether I always want to admit it or not, is just a little bit of undivided time and some attention. They just want to kick a ball around the yard with dad. They don't have to have everything. And if I... Am the dad that buys them everything they want, it, how's that going to help them in their future life? If they have everything they ever wanted, how does that help them? And I just have a few questions here, and I don't have answers to them, but how, how much should a man hold himself back from things just to be an example to his children? How, do my boys ever see me with the ability and the money to buy something, but I deny myself 
just because I don't think it's good for me at the time. Do they ever see me do that, or does dad buy everything he wants? Does dad not have any needs? That's a question I have. I, I don't know where all the lines are on this. And if, if they see me buy everything I can because God placed me in a position where most of the things that I want or need, I can get. If they, if they see me just through life, dad needs it, he buys it. Am I setting them up for a financial bind down the road? Do I want to look up in 20 years and see my boys living the same lifestyle I'm living right now, but they maybe didn't have the job and the money to do it, or they might be called to another country, and, but the, here they are living this lifestyle that they're following dad, it's what dad did, but they're doing it all on borrowed money and it's a real struggle for them? I, I don't know. Some of this stuff is stuff I've been thinking about. Am I setting the wrong kind of Solomon example, the one that said, and whatsoever my eyes desired, I kept not from them, and I withheld not my heart from joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and that was the portion of all my labor? That's in Ecclesiastes 2.10. Is that the example I'm setting? And I think we, we all know in here, I think every human in here knows that Pursuing contentment in this way is a vain activity. We know it in our heart, but it's almost like something that we have to actually try ourselves. We have to all dabble in it a little bit. We can't take advice from others that things don't bring happiness. We have to actually try it ourselves. I don't know, that's how I find it for myself. Another thing about contentment is what about being content with my current role and lot in life? We're probably all called to be something or do something we don't really want to be or do right now. Do my children hear me complaining about where God's called me to be right now? Or do I do it with a smile? Am I content to be and, and live the life God called me to be right now? Am I cheerfully doing the best I can in the areas God called me to serve, or are my boys listening to me complain about that? That's a challenge for me, because I don't like every position I'm in in life. Just as a side note here also, there are some things that we shouldn't be content in. Isn't that a strange thing to say right now? What about a bad marriage? Should we begin, be content to just stay in a bad marriage? After all, Paul said he was content in every state he was in, right? No, we shouldn't be content to be in a bad marriage. There's things that we, we pray and we fix the best we can with God's help. What if I eat a sleeve of Oreos and drink a two-liter Mountain Dew every day for lunch and I can't figure out why I look like the Michelin tire man? No, I don't, and I say this is the state God can, called me in, so I'm going to be content here. No, you don't do that. You, you don't be content in areas like that. You fix the things you can. Joseph's brothers were a bad example of being content. When they sold him to the Ishmaelites, it says they were contented that they sold him to the Ishmaelites. That's a bad contentment. So in closing here, I just want you to stop and think about 
some things that truly have brought you contentment or things, what are they? We have already established things don't bring you contentment. So what is it that brings contentment? I'll just, I'll just show you, tell you some of the things that bring me contentment. They actually make my heart happy. I truly enjoy sitting down every morning with my Bible and a cup of coffee. I do. That's one of my favorite times of the day. I like going to bed at night, and I like waking up in the morning to that. I love going home from work at the end of a day to a beautiful wife and some overactive boys and eating a good meal and listening to how their day went. That's something I enjoy. I love being with friends and enjoying a good laugh or hearing a story from their life. I love being with my extended family, especially over holidays and talking about the past. Those are some of the things that actually bring me, they bring me contentment. I can say they do. So why is it that so often I avoid those things and I go after what I think is going to be the gadget, the truck, the whatever, something that's going to make me, I'll just tell you, man, somehow we put a, uh, emphasis on the things we own as to, to show our manhood. That's not really the right, right way to say it, but we, we think our accumulation of stuff shows that we're somebody. And that's not the case. That's not true. If it, at least if, it, if that is the way we feel about ourselves, we've we got some work to do on ourselves. So my challenge in studying for this and my challenge for you this week is think about the things that actually bring you joy, the things that actually bring you contentment, and they're not actually really things. It's usually the people God put in your life, your family, the people around you. Think about those things and think about what you can do to enhance those relationships and we might be surprised that we might not be as distracted by the things of this world. All the, th all the things of this world are going to be left behind, but the relationships are the ones that are going to matter. Proverbs, in, third, in closing here, Proverbs 38 and 9 say, Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. Lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of God in vain. It's almost like the writer was saying, We want the porridge to be just right. And that, that's a hard, it's sometimes a hard lot to find in America because there, it's a land of plenty. It's a land of plenty, and it's so easy to err on the side of uh, plenty and thinking we don't need God. We don't need others. We have things. Let, let's not be people that fall into that category this morning. Thank y'all for your attentiveness. We'll uh, let's kneel for prayer. We'll let's kneel forward.